I still remember to this day one of my first traumatizing experiences as a child. And it was watching the movie Bambi. You all know this, and I'm about to give a spoiler alert, but this movie's almost 100 years old, so that's on you if you don't know um, what happens in this movie. You all know the moment, though. Bambi's prancing around, spring is coming, he's having a wonderful time with his mother, and then you hear it. The gunshots in the distance, the hunter shows up, and Bambi ends up as an orphan. And I don't know why my parents uh, subjected me to that as a child. I still remember that moment to this day of just horror. And if that wasn't enough, though, my parents thought it'd be a good idea for me then to watch The Lion King after that. Which, again, you know is a great movie, but it's not great when you're five. Because there's that moment when Mufasa is thrown down into a moving stampede by his own brother. These are crazy movies to watch as a kid, okay? You kids don't understand what it was like growing up in the 90s. There's some real movies here. Now, this is why, as an adult, I only watch Paw Patrol now. I keep it nice and clean. <laughs> Nobody dies in Paw Patrol. Everything gets solved in 17 minutes. It's very easy and clean. But something that I find so interesting about even kids watching like these types of movies is even as a child, you have this sense of cosmic justice. Like you just know when something isn't right. As a small child, my parents didn't have to tell me. I saw what happened to Bambi and I just said, that little deer did not deserve that. Like that should not have happened to that poor little animal. Even watching Lion King, I'm like Mufasa should not have been the one falling into that stampede. It should have been the other way around. Nobody had to explain that to me. I just knew it. And the reason why I believe some of these movies have stood the test of time and they're considered classics is because they actually speak to the human experience better than most movies. These movies actually resonate with us around the unfair realities of human life. And if you're just joining us today, we are in week five, everybody, of a series we started at the top of the year called Favor of God. I'm telling you guys, I've loved this journey we've been on this whole last month plus. Just what God has been doing, just the conversations I've been having. We are going to close it out next week big. So I'm telling you, do not miss church next week, okay? We're going to close this thing up strong. But I want to just catch anybody up who's just kind of joined us. For this whole last month, we've been talking about the fact that we get this image in the Bible that talks about God actually turning his face toward people. And it's this image of the favor of God. That's how the Bible depicts it. God looking onto people and demonstrating his delight and giving his grace and his power in these special and supernatural ways. But we've also been very careful to note that God's love is unconditional. I mean, we were just saying, right? Jesus paid it all. Okay, it's the free gift of God. But... God's favor is not. God's favor is not free. And this is not a prosperity, health, and wealth message. It's just pointing to the fact that there are actually things we can do to facilitate more of God's favor in our lives. Now, today might be the most important message in this whole series. Like, I'm so glad you made it to church today because if there's one week not to miss, it's this one. Because if you don't have this message in your arsenal of the favor of God theology, I'm telling you right now, you're going to have a car that has no gas in it. So this is literally essential to balance out your whole understanding of the favor of God. And the reason why today is so important 
is because I want to speak to what I believe to be the most difficult tension of the favor of God. This is actually a tension I've been waiting to address now for over a month. I've been hanging on until this moment. And this is kind of how the tension goes. We've been saying for now 30 plus days, God has favor. He wants to give you his favor. He wants to pour it out in generous amounts. And there's things you can even do to help see that happen. Your personal character, your personal holiness, you can cultivate that. You can even seek God with this bold devotion, believing he's going to provide it. You can even be faithful with the things God has put right in front of you. Those are all things we've been saying for the last couple of weeks. But here's the tension. Some of us in here, maybe even these last couple of weeks, you've felt this. You're thinking, Brian, I am doing everything I know how to do to be faithful to God. I'm doing everything in my power to try and just seek him and live my life in a way that honors him. And everything in my life is still going wrong. Things are still falling apart. And not only do I not see God's favor in my life, I feel like maybe I've been forgotten. Like, it almost feels like I've even been forsaken by God. And add another layer to this too, because some people have felt this. Maybe you felt that I have, where you're like saying, God, not only am I seeking him, trying to pray and be, you know, a good, faithful follower, but I see people who don't even care about God at all. They don't even believe in him. And it feels like the favor is just raining down on their lives. Their lives are going so much better than mine. And so you have enough of these thoughts and experiences. You can get to a point in your faith where you think, is this favor thing a scam? Like it doesn't seem like it works. Being faithful to God doesn't really feel like it pays off. That's the tension I want to lean into today. What do you do when you're faithful but you don't see God's favor flowing into your life. And so we're going to talk about a guy in the Bible today. If if you're familiar with the Bible, this may not be shocking to you, but we're going to talk about a guy named Job. Now you might call him Job, but Job is actually how it's pronounced. He's got a whole book named after him actually. And he went through a very real personal experience of this very tension. And we're just going to go right into the book, right from the top verse. It says this in Job 1.1. In the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Okay, so to say Job is a good guy is an understatement, right? I mean, the same words used to describe people who had the favor of God are the same exact ones for this guy. He's upright, he's blameless, he's seeking God, he's doing all the things. Even God brags on this guy. Look at verse eight. This is God talking. He says, have you noticed my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. Okay. God is team Job. Okay. He's wearing the Jersey. He is a fan and Job checks every single box when it comes to the favor of God. Okay. He's got great character. He seeks God. He is faithful with his life. Check, check, and check. And so you look at Job's life and the, what you should be thinking is, okay, this dude should just be riding the blessings, right? 
The work stuff should work out. Family dynamics should be great. He probably should have a lot of money because this dude's a winner. Okay, he deserves it. He has earned the right to a good life. But that's not exactly how Job's life goes. If you start reading through the story of this book, you see that Job actually has a, his entire business burns to the ground, literally. He loses every single one of his children in a tragic accident. And on top of all of that, he contracts a very severe illness that's extremely painful. Job was the most deserving of God's favor out of anybody. And yet he suffered more than anybody. Now you look at Job's life and you can easily draw this conclusion. Well, I guess the favor of God doesn't work because no matter how you live your life, life is just going to happen. And maybe it's randomness. Maybe it's that God's just unfair, but the system is broken. There is no real correlation between faithfulness and favor. So why even mess with it? Now that's just one layer of the tension though. There's a whole nother dynamic of this, of you see this, good people don't seem to have the favor of God on their lives and horrible people seem to have his favor in very large quantities. Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament and he has some words with God. You almost can't believe this stuff is recorded in the Bible. Look at Jeremiah 12. He says, you are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you, yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? Holy cow, that is quite an indictment against God. Jeremiah's like, yeah, God, you seem righteous, you seem fair, but can we talk about how everything seems unfair in this world? Can we talk about that? Can we talk about how the people who don't even care about you are the ones who are prospering? Their lives are going just fine? There's a whole other writer in the Old Testament who feels the same way. In Psalm 73, this is what they write. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. And this is the conclusion that the writer draws. Surely in vain. I've kept my heart pure. God, why are all the terrible people doing fine? Why does it seem like your justice doesn't seem to play out at all in this world? And if that's the case, what is the point of serving you, God? It seems like this whole faithfulness thing is kind of in vain. One of my best friends is actually a pastor um, at a church in another city, a church a lot like ours, just love this guy. So we were talking on the phone just this last week and he told me about this woman in his church named Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth, um, he's telling me about her. She's just this incredible woman who actually got saved at his church. She got baptized at his church. She serves in the kids' ministry. She's got this wonderful husband and even two precious little kids who are seven and eight right now. So she's 28 years old and she is just like the epitome of just the upright, blameless, faithful person. Like just seeking God, so faithful, serving in the church, just a wonderful woman, contagious personality, just incredible human being someone who absolutely deserves the favor of God. Like it should be raining down on her life. It, it, she should be seeing it. 
It was just now two weeks ago um, where she was actually driving home from church of all places. And there was a man driving in another car who had a blood alcohol level three times the legal limit. And he hit her head on. Now he walked away from that crash with minor injuries. She didn't survive the ride to the hospital. Even where I'm at in my own faith journey, I can't help and hear those stories and go to God and say, Lord, you couldn't have turned the tables on that one. You got a guy who's living for nothing and he walks away and you have this family now that is without a wife and two young kids that are without a mother. You couldn't have somehow changed the outcome of that situation. And, you know, we've all seen and even had, it, have had experiences of, of like this, just the unfairness of the human experience. And when you see these things happen, it is extremely disorienting when it comes to your spiritual life. There's just a dissonance in your soul. Because you look at these and you say, okay, the favor of God does not seem to match up with the faithfulness of people. These things don't seem like they actually go together. And what I've seen is that for many people, their faith starts to dry up in that desert of disappointment and discouragement when they face these kinds of injustices. Now, we've all seen this. We know this happens all the time. And it can make us really question the favor of God. But there's some things we have to see about how this actually works if you're really going to understand how God operates in this world. The one thing we have to see today is that not everyone who flourishes has favor. Now, we can't help this, but our natural inclination is to look at somebody's life, and if it's going really well, we just think, okay, they have the favor of God. Clearly, look how he is blessing them. We have a very formulaic idea of it. So we think A plus B equals C. I do A, God does B. We all end up with C and everybody's happy. Like this is how it's supposed to work. And I've been trying to say this every week so we don't misunderstand it. The favor of God is not a formula. God actually has a very different math for how the world works and how he views things. And there's even a story, I think, that illustrates this well. There's a guy named Samuel in the Old Testament. He's a prophet. God asks him to find a new king for the nation of Israel. So he's going on a hunt, looking for the right guy. And he comes across this particular young man and he's looking at him. He's like, that's the guy. He, he just oozes favor. You know, he's got the look. He comes from the right family. He's just on a trajectory of success. And you know what God says? Pass. Nope. That guy does not have my favor. He may be flourishing, but he doesn't have favor. And God explains to Samuel, he says this in 1 Samuel 16, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so regardless of how successful or wealthy or even how great somebody's life looks, God is saying, I see things very differently. And it may look like the favor of God, but he says, do not be fooled. 
And so we should never assume that just because somebody's life is going well, they actually have God's favor on their life. Now, there's a second half to this, though. It's not just that everyone who flourishes doesn't necessarily have favor. The other half is that not everyone who suffers is forsaken. Now, when I was younger, I, uh, there was this movie that came out that kind of became a cultural phenomenon. Um, it's a bunch of grown men acting ridiculous and doing really irresponsible things and injuring themselves in the process, okay? Um, Somehow this movie grossed like $80 million and had even a sequel. I don't even know. Haven't seen them. But what I do know is they have broken limbs, concussions, brain hemorrhages, loss of eyebrows, burns, and many other random injuries that are disgusting. And this might sound heartless for me to say, but I have absolutely zero empathy for these gentlemen and their injuries. I know that may sound bad to say, but here's the thing. If you choose to lock yourself in a room with a bear and cover yourself with honey, whatever happens, that's on you, okay? You're taking responsibility for that decision. If you want to shoot out of a cannon and land at a pool full of snakes, that was your choice, okay? I don't feel bad if you're in the hospital after that. And what I'm trying to point out here is sometimes we just have to acknowledge this. Some of the pain that comes into our life is not even a result of sin. It's just our own stupidity. We do dumb stuff. We make mistakes sometimes. I still remember when I was in middle school, I was trying to convince my mom to let me get an airsoft gun. Okay, if you guys know, these are like these little pellet guns or whatever. And in a way to try to show her that they were perfectly safe, I held my friends at point blank range and just shot myself right in the finger. Now, if anybody knows anything about airsoft guns, that wasn't fatal, but I had a finger the size of a cucumber for like two weeks after that, all right? Now, I don't necessarily think I was sinning in that moment. I was 13, okay? I did not have a fully formed brain. That's just what happened in that moment. But I suffered the consequences. And that just happens. If you jump out of a plane without a parachute, that was just a bad choice, okay? God doesn't typically suspend the laws of the universe to overcome our own irresponsibility. And something that's just good to know here, just know the heart of God, God does not bring condemnation but he does allow consequences. So yes, Jesus paid it all for your, your sin. He died in your place. He loves you. He has forgiven you in every way, but we still suffer the consequences of our own decisions on a daily basis. It just happens. And sometimes things just don't work out too. There's maybe not even a deep spiritual thing behind it. You know, uh, you start a business and you're all excited and you're, and you're working hard, but maybe just the market conditions weren't right. Maybe you tried starting in the middle of COVID or something. Maybe you just didn't have quite enough cash on hand. It just didn't work out. Like sometimes just stuff doesn't work out in life. Now on another level though, sometimes the pain and suffering that comes into our lives is a result of our own sin. We do it to ourselves. You lie to somebody who's really important to you and, and the truth comes out, you can really damage that relationship. You can set yourself back years in a relationship. You can destroy a relationship. You cut corners financially, you may find out with the IRS how that goes. You know, it, you may have to pay a price. And there's so many other things we do that God does not want us to do that brings damage to our lives. So sometimes it is worth asking this question. It's worth asking ourselves this question. Am I simply experiencing the consequences of my own sin and mistakes? Now, I'll tell you this right now. These are the more cut and dry situations. 
They're a little bit more black and white. You can kind of detect when it's kind of on you. And we own it and you move on and it's just part of life. There are some much more complicated scenarios that we all face in here. You face something that you did nothing to cause. Nobody else even did anything to cause it in your life. You didn't expect it. You didn't see it coming. This is the totally unexpected tragedy that hits your life. This is that diagnosis that you didn't see coming at all. This is that situation that brings a wrecking ball to your life. Jesus says this in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. We live in a broken world. Things do not work the way they should. And trouble may come in a variety of forms, but the one promise you have is that you are going to experience it on some level at different times in your life. There's a couple that Nicole and I know um, who are friends of ours. They live in Erie, and we know them through our kids' sports, uh, previous church experience. They are total salt-of-the-earth people, just the sweetest people on planet Earth, beautiful little kids, just a wonderful family in every way. You, like, you would love to have them as your neighbors. What was just recently when they found out that their three-year-old daughter has a rare form of cancer, three-year-old daughter. And now they're spending days and even weeks at a time at the hospital going through all these treatments and explaining to their three-year-old daughter why she's losing her hair and just trying to be an encouragement to her through this entire situation. Now, they did not ask for that. It's not something they could have ever wanted or wished for in their lives. And these are the situations that are so hard because when you face stuff like that, it's very tempting to wonder, is God punishing me? Is he making me pay some price for something I did? Because surely God wouldn't allow this in my life if I really was a good, faithful person. I know a lot of people who even punish themselves and carry this burden of guilt for something they had no control over. That wasn't their fault at all. And Job's story is proof to us that even the best people can go through some of the worst experiences. Faithfulness to God is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. But this opens up another layer of this onion of God's favor that we need to understand now, if this is the case. And we need to recognize that God's favor may come in the form of suffering. Now that should <laughs> make your brain twist a little bit because you're like, huh? And one problem for us with a point like that is just our American experience of Christianity. Because we have somehow built an expectation in the American version of Christianity that if you have God's favor, he is going to make your life great. You're going to be comfortable. He's going to make things more convenient. And that is not necessarily how things work. You know, you look at other parts of the world and compared to what we have, we are blessed to really not see any severe persecution of Christians here. We've been blessed with that. That also has not been the case even in the first century. You think of someone like Paul. He was a leader in the early church in the first century. God gives him one of the greatest calls any human has ever received. 
God's like, you are going to bring Christianity to a large part of the known world, and you're going to write a massive portion of the Bible. Paul is the most read author in the entire world, period. He's got favor. But you want to see what God says about the favor he has for Paul? Look what God says in Acts 9 about Paul's call on his life. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. How incredible that those two things go together. God's like, man, I got a call in this guy's life. I have chosen him. He's going to leave an impact for eternity that people can't even measure. And then God does not go into a list of, and here's how much money he's going to make, and here's the houses he's going to buy, and here's how great his whole family dynamic's going to be. He's like, oh no, it's going to be very expensive. My favor is going to come at a very steep cost in his life. He is going to suffer for it. Now, some of the apostles, Jesus' inner circle, after Jesus rose from the dead and this Christian movement is taken off, they get brought before the Sanhedrin. This is like the Jewish ruling council. And they get beaten for bringing up the name of Jesus and trying to promote him and his ideas. And look what it says in Acts 5 about them. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering. Disgrace for the name. Now, why did they suffer? Yes, on one level, it's because the Sanhedrin didn't want to happen. They beat them up for it. But do you see what it says in here for why they suffered? They were worthy of it. God honored them with the opportunity to suffer for his name. Now let's go back to Job. Job suffers big time. And you think of all the reasons why it happened. There's a few we could definitely list, especially if you read the story. But you know one reason why Job suffered in the way he did? He was worthy of it. God knew he could trust Job with suffering. He knew Job would be faithful to him even through the most horrific experiences of his life. And he knew Job would glorify him even in those moments where most people would have given up. He was worthy of it. So we can draw this conclusion. If that's the case, we can safely say this. Suffering may not be a sign you're doing something wrong, but that you are doing everything right. God may trust you with suffering. He may honor you with the privilege for glorifying him through horrific experiences. And I know what you're thinking right now. Praise the Lord. I'm going to pray for that, Brian. That's always what I've been hoping and dreaming for. (laughs) Bring it on, Lord. Now, I don't think this is actually something you should pray for. I don't think we're supposed to ask for it. But it may happen. God may trust you with suffering. Now, I'm not saying he's even the one who directly caused it. I'm not saying he's happy about it. What I am saying is God may allow pain in your life for greater purposes that you can't even fully see or comprehend. He may do that. And if God chooses to give you this privilege, you do have a promise that comes with it. I want to encourage some people in here. 
Paul in Romans 8 says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, every single word and its order there is so critical. Does Paul say all things are good? He absolutely does not say that. It says he is working all things for good. So God may not have caused it. He may not be happy about it, but he's definitely working in and through it. And you have a promise that God's good purposes will prevail through any painful experience in your life. So for anybody in here, if God allows any form of pain, difficulty, or suffering in your life, you have a guarantee that it is only because he ultimately plans to use it for good. That is the ultimate outcome of every single situation in your life as God works in and through it. So we now can take our understanding of the favor of God to a whole nother level. We're taking this thing all the way through now and we can say this with confidence. God's favor is not the absence of suffering. It is his presence providing what you need to fulfill his purposes. God's favor is not about you living your best life. It's not about padding your 401k. It's not about you avoiding any difficulty or as much of it as you possibly can. No, it is about God working in and through your life to accomplish things of eternal consequence, generational implications and outcomes. Look at Job's life. He looked like he had been forsaken by God. His friends even suggested that to him. They said, that must be the case. God is punishing you. Otherwise, why would you be going through this? But you look at the actual story. God's presence was with him through every single moment of the worst season of his life. And God didn't remove the pain. He provided his presence so Job could persevere and get to the other side. And so we actually see what happened to Job at the end of his life after he got through everything. In Job 42, it says, so the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life, even more than in the beginning. Then he died, an old man who had lived a long, full life. Job's faithfulness was not in vain. God made sure it paid off in his life. God even gave him double for his trouble. He gave the blessings back in interest because of what Job had to go through. So much so that James, even the New Testament, uses him as an illustration. He says this, you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Look at the conclusion. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So here's the promise. If we will remain faithful, God's favor will always come full circle. No faithfulness to God is ever spent in vain. God will always make, make sure it pays off in your life. He's full of compassion. He is full of mercy. He sees every moment. He knows every hardship and he makes sure it is never wasted. Now, everybody in here you would love to have a Job story. 
you would love to see that favor come full circle in your life. Everything tied up like a bow. Job has the ultimate happy ending. It's a total Cinderella story. And everybody's in here is like, yeah, give that to me, Lord. Let's close that loop. Because I have some things that have not been resolved yet in my life. I have some things that have not really come to an end. And because of some of the dynamics in here, some of us in here, you may not see the full conclusion of some of the hardships in your life. You may not get the answer to some of those seasons you've had to face. There's actually a couple in our church, Mike and Heidi. They're some of the most faithful people you would ever meet, wonderful people who love God. Almost every single weekend, they are the reason why you can even see things on the screen or you can even stream online. They are the reason that is even happening most weekends at this church. Just wonderful people on every level. Well, they've been going through their own season of struggle and they actually were willing to share some of their story with this church in hopes it would encourage us. So I'm gonna have us take a look at the screens right now. It's a very humbling experience to live in your son's basement. I mean, it's just not what I had planned for my life at age 55. <laughs> I run a pharmaceutical company. Uh, we were literally within six months of having our product FDA approved and to market. In November of 21, we got a notification uh, that we were being investigated by the SEC. We weren't overly concerned. Um, we didn't have anything to hide. We, you know, basically I provided 95,000 documents and 50 gigabytes of information and they continued to investigate all throughout 2021 and they didn't really find anything. In December, they went to the court and uh, sought a temporary restraining order and an asset freeze. So we haven't been, we haven't been uh, charged with anything. We haven't been convicted of anything. We have not gotten a day in court, yet we have lost everything. We've literally gone two years without a paycheck. We're homeless, living in our son's basement. Praise God that he had a house that we could move into. Yeah, it's just been a, it's been a really trying time, seemingly doing everything right. And, you know, we, we donate time. We, we donated money when we had it. We, we did everything we could in terms of like service for others. And it, it just seems like in the formula that everybody has in their head about how to be close to God, we were doing that. We felt that, you know, hey, it might be six months and then we'll get it back on track. We'll finish up. We lost a little time, but, you know, everything will then be set for the IPO. Our attorneys are dumbfounded that it's taken this long. They, they thought we would have had a, a decision at latest the end of October. Some of the more difficult aspects of going through this have been the loss of some of the relationships. Some of the people in my family have basically quit talking to me. I set up an appointment for us to come in and talk with Brandon. And coming in that day, I had been considering suicide. And Brandon said, I don't, and he didn't even know that, but he said, Satan wants us to give up. He wants us to kill ourselves. He wants us to quit. 
and it just hit me. And I decided on that day, that's not happening. That is not happening. Satan is not winning. I know that I've got support out there. I know we can get through this. I've got to start looking at things differently. I just clung to the, the scripture, I will restore you. And it's been a saving grace. That day when we came in, I was so completely void of any hope and just really, truly ready to give up. And now I look back and I'm like, oh, that was so stupid. You can control your attitude. You can control your happiness. You know, happiness is a choice. You know, like, I mean, someone could look at my life and go, God, I mean, what does that guy have to be happy about? Well, I have a lot to be happy about <laughs> because I choose to. I choose to acknowledge those things. God has provided. I have a roof over my head. We have been able to eat. We have been able to put gas in our car. I believe that God has a big plan for me. I believe that God has something for me that is, is, is beyond probably even what I can comprehend. We have tried very hard to focus on the things we can control. And I, I'll speak for myself now, I can control my attitude and I can control my commitment to my family and uh, those relationships um, and I can control my effort and how hard I work to try to overcome the situation that we're in. Outside of that, there's, I can't control the judge, I can't control the SEC, I can't control, I can't control any of the other variables in this process. I literally have no choice but to leave it in the hands of God. So grateful for uh, Mike and Heidi to share that story. It takes a lot of courage to share some of that. And um, they're still in the middle of it. This is now becoming a years long journey. They have not seen the favor of God come full circle in this situation. And I know that's true for a lot of people in this room too. You have not seen a situation come full circle. You have not seen God bring a final resolution and you feel your faith starting to dry up in just that desert of disappointment and discouragement. But even if that's the case in your life, you have a promise from God that you can cling to. And that promise is there is a future favor that will last forever. If you go to the very end of the Bible, John sees a vision of what heaven is going to be like. And he sees this unbelievable picture where there's no more suffering, there's no more pain, there's no more death. It's the ultimate paradise. God has restored all things. But in the middle of this vision, John adds a little detail that could be easy to pass over, but we are going to be able to appreciate because of this series we've been in. John says this in Revelation 22, they will see his face. Now we've been saying this entire series that the literal translation of God's favor is for him to turn his face toward you. And the picture of eternity is that there will be this unlimited, 
and endless and overflowing favor of God that will last forever. Full access to his very presence in ways that we can't even comprehend. And so the promise is that the favor of God will come full circle for those who stay faithful and keep their hope in Jesus. God will make sure that favor comes full circle in your life. And the reason you can have such confidence in this is because of Jesus. You see, Jesus was the most faithful. Jesus had perfect character. Jesus sought his heavenly father with flawless devotion. And Jesus, the most deserving of the favor of God, suffered the most. He ended up on a cross, dying a death he did not deserve. And some of you may even know the very words he cried out on that cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken so you could experience God's favor. Jesus died the death we all deserved so we could get the life that he deserved. And so three days later, when Jesus rose from the dead, when he conquered the grave, he opened the doors to the true favor of God, forgiveness of sin, a resurrection life, eternal life, the hope of eternity, true access to the full face of God, his very presence and favor into eternity. So I need to tell some people today, place your hope in Jesus. Do not put your hope in your circumstances and the situations you're facing. They are fleeting. They are temporary. They're going to be good and they're going to be bad. But Jesus is the one person you can bet your life on. You can place all your hope in and you can trust will provide a future favor that will last forever. Let's pray together right now. Lord, we thank you so much for the promises you have for your kids. God, you promise a favor that will last forever. Something we can't even fully understand or comprehend on this side of eternity. But Lord, even though that is the case, I know for many of us, the struggles of life can be so discouraging and draining and just difficult, Lord. Not seeing that favor loop closed is very hard. And so church, I would love for us to take a moment. You might be in this room and actually things are going pretty well for you right now. Maybe not perfect, but good. You don't have a lot to complain about. I would love for us to take a moment and pray for those in our church who are in a difficult season right now, who are struggling to believe in the favor of God, who maybe even feel forgotten or forsaken by him. And maybe if you're one of those people, I would love for you just to receive these prayers right now. Maybe you just want to open your hands in your lap right now in a receiving posture. And church, I'm going to ask right now, can we just take some time and pray for those people in our church and lift them up right now? Let's pray for them.
And so, Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters today. I pray you would encourage their hearts, that you would give them a fresh hope today, Lord, and that they would have an eternal perspective knowing that in Jesus, they have your favor. They have your love. They have your grace. They have eternal life in you, Lord. And so I pray that would be a reminder for all of us today, God. May we put our hope in you, Jesus. May we put our very lives in your hands, knowing, God, there is a favor coming that will last forever. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.